The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I. Candy Kimsey. Oh, how sweet it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. To be loved by Jews. Oh, <laughs> it is a what, sweet thing. What'd you What'd you say? <laughs> Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks represent and behind the glass, Rocket Man, Andy Bishop, and to my right, Sarita, the Rita Edgerton. Hola. <laughs> I find I found out the song. Cherry's not here tonight, guys. Cherry had to take her dog to the vet, and the dog decided to vomit. All over her car. Because that's she's what people done. are tuning in for to hear that. She's word. done with her day. She's so she's not, she's not coming. It's yeah. not so anyway. But uh, you know, you remember I kept I I did the sound effect and you guys laughed at me. But I figured out what it is. The Alan Parsons project, the eye in the sky. Was Have that you the, ever the heard intro that? you were talking that's about? That's the intro. The Chicago Bulls used it. Okay, that's what you sent us. I oh, sent oh, it to oh, you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah okay. A lot of uh basketball teams used it. Yeah, it's a, good, it's, it. a good, it's a good one, but, you know, for copyright purposes, I can't use it, we, you know, I can't use it on the show. So, anyway. Well, this is, a, this is a testimony episode, and it's kind of interesting because normally we either have the guest in the studio with us or we're doing a Zoom call, but this one is a little different. Uh, when I went to the spring conference down at the Berean Bible Church in Virginia Beach, I met uh, one of the speakers, Bob Cruikshank, and... Uh, we sort we struck up a conversation and you know we're just discussing things about preterism and the Oliver Discourse and the Millennial Reign and all this stuff and and uh, I asked him if we could get him on the show and and he said yeah someday you know we might be able to do that and then um, as we were emailing back and forth he sent me uh, a message about this guy named Bill Evans and Bill Evans has he's known as the truck driver theologian and if you ever want to see go on Facebook and search the truck driver theologian and you'll see his page and uh so I called him and uh I've I've actually uh became quite good friends with him I've called him a few times this guy's he's brilliant and he uh he had a a podcast actually uh once dead uh he has another I think it was the the restorationist something some sort of a thing but he did he did a podcast for a little while and so what he did was he wasn't able to be here in studio and he wasn't able to talk but he did send us a testimony that he had put on that once dead podcast so that we could listen to it that was his own podcast it was his own yeah and uh so he uh, graciously sent that in to us. And uh, so what we're going to do, guys, is this is all new, but we're going to, this is a pre-recorded testimony. And uh, if you don't mind, Andy, just uh, hit the play on that, let them hear it, and then we'll talk about it when it's over. My name is Bill Evans, and I was once dead. 
I was born in 1954 in a small town in southeast Missouri, the oldest of seven kids in a blue-collar family. I went to Catholic schools, complete with nuns. I was an altar boy and a choir boy. I grew up in the days of cotton gins, moon pies and RC cola, and segregation, yet without all the current racial tension. Like many young boys, I snuck peeks at the women's lingerie section of the Sears catalog. But I'll never forget my first exposure to pornography as a young boy. It was a devastatingly powerful influence. I was talkative, artistic, witty, and a risk-taker. I wasn't really very good at sports, and I wasn't a very good fighter, although I tried. But little did I realize that promiscuity and using women would become my preferred way of overcompensating. By the time that I was 20 years old, a young merchant mariner living in New Orleans, I already had a lifetime of experience with females. I can remember speaking to a Catholic priest about how to get mastery over myself and was referred not to Christ in the Scripture, but to transcendental meditation. I joined the Navy at the age of 21 out of, out of boredom mainly and to enhance my opportunities for adventure, which generally meant sin. I was assigned as a young navigational petty officer to a destroyer in Norfolk, Virginia. One night in the laundromat, I was asked by a fellow if I had any interest in spiritual things. You know, I thought he was talking about ghosts. He clarified that he was talking about the Bible, Jesus Christ. And so I responded with my standard Catholic shtick. He invited me to come to the Bible study, and a week later, bored and thinking that I might meet a girl, I attended. It was a navigator Bible study I was to learn. There I heard the gospel and was, I believe, powerfully converted. John one twelve, Ephesians two eight nine, Titus three five six, Second Corinthians five seventeen, Galatians two twenty, First John five eleven through thirteen, Revelation three twenty. These are all verses I remember hearing that evening for the very first time. Little did I know that night I would receive my first lesson in Calvinism. When I reported to the group that I had prayed to receive Christ, a fellow sailor said, Yeah, we'll be here five years from now. The day was May 1976. I bought a Bible, started sharing the gospel, memorizing and studying the scripture. I gave up my former way of life and was baptized. I too became a never-dater. Throughout my time in the service, even when overseas, I sought out Christians, led Bible studies, and evangelized. I was known by everybody on the ship as the Christian on duty. I was the Protestant lay leader. I discipled young believers, even preached in the open air on Mars Hill in Athens during a med cruise. I was once invited by a Muslim businessman in Bahrain to visit his home and talk to him about Jesus Christ, or as they call him, Isa. I became convinced early on of the Reformed view concerning the doctrines of grace, having dug a tract on Calvinism out of the trash can and swallowed it whole. But my dirty secret was that I still struggled with private sexual sin centered around pornography. Upon my discharge, I attended a Bible college in South Carolina. I was sure, as would everyone else who knew me, that I was bound for the ministry. This was the first time I had ever been in a co-ed environment with girls 
everywhere, and they all love Jesus. True to my NAV training, I sought out the sharpest guy on campus I could find. He was a 32-year-old Vietnam vet, a combat Marine, and physician who was pursuing a master's in divinity to go to the mission field. He was also navigator trained and a serious, no-nonsense, reformed Presbyterian. God would use this man in my life in profoundly important ways, and he still does. It was during this time that I began to understand covenant theology, creation science, ecclesiology, and developed a disdain for popular pop eschatology. Everyone seemed to think that I was the golden boy, a gifted, seemingly mature Christian, veteran, strong in the scripture, well-read, well-versed in theology, passionate, articulate, outgoing, trained in disciple-making. But there was a girl. In truth, we only had a few walks and a few lunches together, nothing intense, by my standards at least. There was no physical intimacy whatsoever. But I got in my head somehow that this striking, blue-eyed brunette nurse raised on the mission field was God's will for my life. As impossible as it is for me to explain, after initially encouraging me, she drew away and began avoiding me and sent word through friends that she was uninterested. She ultimately left Bible college to commence a relationship elsewhere. I was devastated. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say I had something of a meltdown. I left Bible college, traveled west of the Rocky Mountains, and left my Christian friends and lifestyle behind to sulk. After working in the oil fields through what must have been the coldest winter in recorded history, I returned to civilization and joined a local Bible study in Casper, Wyoming, where I met a Christian girl, another blue-eyed brunette, in a city where the ratio of men to women was 20 to 1. I didn't exactly love her. I intended for us to remain only friends. But we fell one time, which, as we all know, is all it takes. She became pregnant. We became married. She miscarried, and I felt trapped. Subsequently, I calvinized her, moved her to St. Louis, and we had two sons. We joined a PCA church. The Lord gave us a position that included free rent and utilities. I attended University of Missouri, was recruited for management by UPS, and had begun attending Covenant Seminary. You know, on the outside, everything looked good. I was busy, but I was not shepherding and loving my wife. A sexual indiscretion with a female associate at work, which I promptly confessed, led to church discipline and subsequent divorce. By this time, I was starting to come into something of a spiritual fog. I was still going through many of the motions. We were in church every time the door was open. I met weekly with godly men, pastors and seminary professors, but somehow the reality was missing. Newly divorced, my children's mother moved back west. I went into sales and then really started making serious money. I felt free, but I was entering in following my broken marriage covenant an extended season of rebellion. Now, from time to time, my spiritual feet would touch bottom, and for a period of time, I would experience a measure of spiritual equilibrium, including 
attending charismatic prayer services and having hands laid on me and even getting a prayer language. But overall, I was kind of like a man being swept along by a river. A river of hypocrisy, sexual immorality, hedonism, and materialism. I was becoming, lack of, for lack of a better term, a serial fornicator. Although I had Christian brothers who would talk straight to me, it was though I was in a vortex, trapped by powerful drugs, the pride of life, and the love of the world, and the things in the world. I was like a comet. I was successful at everything I did, and yet I could never build any kind of stable life. Like Solomon, I denied myself virtually no carnal pleasure. I became vile, wretched, and idolatrous playboy, living in a penthouse, dating women in the sex industry, driving a convertible, and wearing expensive shoes. I'm sure my sons understood. They didn't see me very much. They lived a thousand miles away. But I didn't care. I was too self-centered. I fathered a daughter out of wedlock, but refused any involvement. In time, recreational drugs began to take over. Sexual excess had become my god, and it was very demonic. It was not long before I had lost everything, including a short-lived second marriage. It was only because of the Lord's mercy that I was not consumed. Thankfully, all this time I never openly rejected Christ or denied Him, although by my life I certainly had crucified Him afresh. To make a break with my past and thus survive, I left Phoenix where I was residing. It really no longer felt like living. And I moved across the country and with diminished options went into truck driving, something that I had never, ever considered in my life. I'm not sure precisely when, but the Lord began to work in my heart again. I reconnected with my faithful brother from Bible College, who was now many years later a former missionary pastor, a respected elder, homeschooling father of five. All things that might have been my experience had I not so tragically departed from the straight way, there was no condemnation, but he did begin to pick up where he'd left off many years ago, and my life began to take on the characteristics of happier days as a young Christian. All the scriptures that I had memorized seemed to come back. The books that I had read and consumed, I could once remember. Zeal for the Lord returned. I even began to compose hymns that dealt with my time in the wilderness. But wait... Was there repentance? Oh, yes. There was deep sorrow and regret, remorse, sometimes even haunting nightmares about the years I spent in rebellion away from the Lord. And this accompanied my turning away from sin and new obedience. But wasn't I saved back in 76? How do I reconcile my experience with Reformed theology? People in the early days would have sworn that I was among the most committed Christians they knew. But what happened? Had I been saved, really? Was I merely a false convert, a temporary believer? I know Scripture teaches that without holiness no man shall see the Lord. I know that had I died during those years, I would have been lost, with no fruit by which I might make my calling and election sure. But it does no good to look behind me 
as we are exhorted from the Scriptures, to forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead, to press on toward the upward prize in Christ Jesus, to cling to His promise that what He has begun He will bring to completion. As the author and finisher of my faith, yes, I cling to this. Today, by God's grace, I am in Christ, not because I chose Him, but because He chose me. I don't know why I went through those wilderness years. I can't explain it, but I don't have time to worry about it. Yes, wilderness living is hard, and my life still bears many scars, physically and mentally. My mind is like a large house with many rooms full of memories, most of which have large locks on the door and into which I am not allowed to enter. The faces and memories of the people that I sinned against and sinned with often threaten to invade my thoughts, which demands that I learned how to guard my heart with all diligence. All I can do for them is pray that God will have mercy on them as he has on me. The reality that I made so many dreadfully wrong choices, that I squandered so many opportunities to serve the Lord, to be a better husband and father, is a reality that I will carry with me until I meet the Lord. And while I'm justified by faith, I don't mind saying that I don't look forward to that day when every hidden thought, word, and deed will be revealed. I'm glad the Lord promises to wipe away every tear, for there's sure going to be plenty of them. I'm not a pastor, elder, deacon, or even an author. I'm a nobody for Christ. But indeed, I, I know for a fact that to be a mere nobody in the house of the Lord is far better than to live in the tent of the wicked. I have peace with God, and my conscience has been washed clean through the washing of water with the word. Now, what did I learn? I learned sanctification is not about exerting some superhuman effort or ecstatic experience. It is about applying the ordinary means of grace, simple disciplines, practiced daily, compounded over time. I learned that sexual purity is not optional, and, it, and that in the words of John Owen, I must be killing sin, or sin will be killing me. My lot from the Lord is to remain single and celibate, and I praise Him that He has given me the grace to make this a joyful reality. I learned that knowing theology is not the same as being holy, that the importance of reading books, notwithstanding, it is not the primary means of sanctification. I learned that accountability with other men who are serious about Christ and his kingdom is indispensable. I learned that the law of God is vitally important and that how I feel has little to do with loving God. No, the way I love God is by obeying his commandments. I learned that every day is spiritual warfare, and the day you forget it is the day you become a casualty. I learned that one's eschatology impacts one's sanctification. I learned of God's glorious kingdom and of my responsibility to live in such a way so as to consciously seek to extend it in every area of life and the world around me. I've learned that the best defense is a good offense. I learned that to live out that, that I needed to live all out and to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and ordered my life according to his word. To quit fighting, to quit running, the race is to fail. And for me to fail is to die. For me to live as Christ, and like the Apostle Paul, if I am to live on in the flesh, 
I know that this means fruitful labor for me. And I also know that my sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit and has been purchased by Jesus Christ. Today, even though I'm just a truck driver, the Lord, by his grace, has been using me in the lives of people. I spend about 25 to 50% of my time, it seems, on the telephone, talking to people, trying to encourage them, praying for them and with them. I'm eager to help them to avoid the mistakes I've made and to keep them from wasting the years I wasted. Being a friend, making disciples, well, that's messy, and you got to get your hands dirty. You have to be transparent. You have to be willing to take risks. I desire to live a form of Christianity that's not theoretical, but practical. I'm not motivated by fear, but by the knowledge of what great things the Lord has done for me and how he has had mercy on me. I have prioritized rebuilding the lost trust with my children, now grown, and I'm so grateful to God that he has enabled me to do that. I have learned the need to redeem the time. This includes utilizing tools of dominion, not for entertainment, but for exhortation and edification of others. God is forcing me to be a man of prayer by calling me to do what I could not do without him. I am energized by the knowledge that the benefit of prayer is not knowing how it makes me feel, but the promise that God, the sovereign king, answers my prayers and answers them. I've learned that the way to receive is to give, and giving generously to the needs of my brothers has opened the way for receiving abundantly from the Lord, who loves a cheerful giver. I have learned the necessity of seeing myself not as a man alone, but as a member of a military unit. You are all my brothers and sisters in arms part of a global army united by a common goal, that is to glorify my king and extend his kingdom. I wrote this poem to recount my years in the wilderness. Though a long time in rebellion, squandering grace apart remained, out of fellowship in darkness, by this my wise Lord ordained, though my sin was not his doing, with no fruit my fate unsure, yet his spirit faithful wooing that his promise might endure. Could the son lack satisfaction? Could he lose one he had bought? No, his spirit would preserve me. Somehow evil schemes would come to naught. When by mercy grace returned me to again walk in his sight, sin now once again concerned me and made me work and pray and fight. Tis been said that Adam forfeit all his seed, but for a taste. When tempted, think not what ye shall profit, but upon that which ye shall waste. Cast aside not Christ's sweet pleasure, nor the proof that he is yours. Make your aim to love what he loves and to hate what he abhors. Though you know that God forgives all, who by sovereign grace repent, presume not upon his mercy, understand why trials are sent. These to prove your holy calling and make your election sure. And when by faith you resist from falling, t'was Christ alone held thee secure. So then, where the battle rages, here there I stand, and my faith is proved. In my heart, his power engages, so that I cannot be moved. Now forget what lies behind thee. Toward his upward call now run, confident that God will finish what in Christ he has begun. Pleasures, riches, and successes, not for all would I replace. For the expectation of reaching heaven, and the joy of finishing the race, looking to God's approval, 
not to how I might be test. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into thy master's rest. Yes, I am a worm, saved by grace. But a worm may serve a mighty king. I am Bill Evans, and now I'm kingdom-driven. What an interesting thing. I know, I mean, it is it is a little different when you don't have, like, the way we do it here when we talk back and forth, you know. But I think the thing that really hit me the most was just how honest he was. You know what I mean, Billy? Yeah. You know, like, he he talks about, when he, when he was talking about how he, you know, he had this problem with lust and, like, with pornography and things. I mean, that's not easy to talk about. No, it's hard. It's hard to admit any of that. Sort of, you know, those those big faults like that. Or, yeah, and I think that's know, what made it so, like, why I liked it so much was because he just, he was very open. You know, he, he called himself a hedonist, you know, but that question that he had was, you know, am I saved or not? You know, because he had a salvation experience, but then it's like he fell away. And we've talked to every, everybody seems to go through that. I, it's, I, it feels like, it feels like a part of the human experience to me. Uh, yeah. Like, like, like not specific to Christianity. I just think it's an era in your life when you're young and you're impressionable and you find these things and they're appealing. And then you go through the the teens and rebellious era of your life where you're more questioning and you do what you do in those years, sort of, and how that manifests differently with different people. But there are similarities to that experience. Mm-hmm. And then you come back around as you kind of become an actual adult, which doesn't happen in your 20s. Right. And, and you come back around and kind of find, you know, and kind of find your 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 own bedrock. And I feel yeah. like that experience looks, if you look at it right, it looks the same in a lot of people, regardless of their religion or whether or not you're even talking about a religious experience. It's kind of the curvature of a life story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I agree with you on that. I do. It's just weird in in the Christian realm— because of you know your weekly you're you're taught you know how to act like for instance when he mentioned that he pretty much abandoned his kids you know he'd had um a child out of wedlock uh, i think it, it was and he was married twice and you know now he's you know practicing celibacy and he's you know very deep in his studies and uh, his relationship to god has changed but when you grow up in that world you want to be you know it's not like we're trying to act great so that we can get into heaven, but the idea is to try to lead a holy life. And that that's something that he was very aware of that he wasn't doing. And then, you know, of course, now he's rebuilt his relationship with his children, which is great. And, you know, um, he he calls him a nobody for Jesus. He calls himself a nobody for Jesus, you know. And when I first met him and, you know, over the phone and talked to him, it is amazing how many people he's actually met, how many people he's talked to. And um, he really is. Like, he, he truly is the truck driver theologian. He's all over the country. He talks to people. I told him to come visit us, you know, when he's in town, you know, just because you never know where you're going to be. Where he's going to come yeah, to. Yeah, you know, a truck. How old is he, Rick? Uh, I think he said he was 56. I think he said he was 56 at the time, I think. I don't know how old he is now. I think he's 56 or 57. He said he was, he gave his birth date. Did he? he? At the beginning. I thought he said I was born in 1959 or something like that. Oh, okay. So so that would put him in his 60s then. Yeah. So. Did he say 19 aught something? No, he did not say 19 aught. <laughs> I was born in 19 aught. I could five. be mistaken. I listened to a couple of things today, so I could be mistaken. I could, but I thought he said I was born on whatever 
19. I was like, were you giving your birthday now? Right. The funny thing to me, though, like when he was describing his hedonist lifestyle and when he was getting out, like fancy cars, hot women, and then he was like, and nice shoes. And nice shoes. That's funny. Yeah. (laughs) You know? It's just like, okay. You know, like nice shoes matters. (laughs) Yeah. The things that you'd pick that up somewhere. Like you would see a person when you were young and that person always had nice shoes. or You know what I mean? There would be a reason that impressed you. Well, he was poor. Yeah. And so he probably had hand-me-downs or... So he shoes, saw somebody like yeah, right. but, but specifically somebody, shoes. Yeah, yeah he, there was shoes. somebody in his life, and that rolled that up ma- in a fancy car with them nice wingtip yeah. shoes. Yeah. yeah. When I get old and I get lots of money, I'm gonna have me some nice shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm in sales, and the number one thing they tell you in sales, you can judge a person by their shoes. Really? Really? I have. Uh, he has toed shoes. Mother, he nice. has his toes out. Yep. That's right. Look at you, Sharif. You have your Vans? I have Converse. Close Close enough. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I have have a couple different colors of Converse, too. Well, anyway, let's wrap this episode up. Um, Obviously, Bill Evans, if you've listened to this, thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was awesome. Yeah, and uh, thanks for being so honest. And uh, I hope, you know, if anybody listened to this and they have issues with pornography or, you know, sexual sin or whatever there's going on in their life, obviously you can listen to Bill and see, hmm, interesting, you know, but there's there are people out there that you can get help. You know, I wouldn't know where to send you. You could watch Fireproof. I mean, Kirk Cameron got rid of that pornography. No problem in the movie. I've not seen it. <laughs> Me yeah. Yep. yeah. If I could say I got a couple of takeaways. Yeah, what you got? Um so, a couple of things. Um, one of the things that he said was, pour into your wife. Um, and I, I think that if you want to get out of something like that, pouring into your wife and kids, I think, is a good way of doing it. Because the more you pour into them and acknowledge them, the harder it is for the for the other to creep in. Sure. Um, and then he said something about uh, doing something daily and daily and daily and daily. And that's just like money. It compounds. Yeah. So, uh, all of that daily study, that daily thought, all of that compounds over the years. And, and, and then you have enough in the tank. So, when you get into a situation that uh, could set you astray, you have so much in the tank that it's harder for that. Uh, and then uh, there was something that I think I disagreed with him on. Unless I misheard, he said something that it's a good thing he didn't die during all of that because he would have not – it sounded like he was saying he wouldn't have gone to heaven because he didn't have enough fruit. And I just kind of disagree with that kind of dogma there. I don't think you built like, – sounded sounded Catholic to me for sure. And he did talk about being Catholic. Well, where, that's where he was coming from actually. Right. I think he was coming from his upbringing, exactly, but, he, but exactly. he grew and understood that that was right. Not the reality. So it's not. Uh, it's it's it, for everybody out there. It's not. Uh, you're saved. You're saved. And as long as you're not go back on that and say I don't believe in you, um, you're saved. So we make mistakes and we sin. And even if you make a mistake and sin, know that you're still saved. And that doesn't mean that your sins are. Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, yeah, according to the scripture, Jesus died for sins once for all. Right. Doesn't so, mean that you won't have consequences from it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, when you're saved, you're saved. That's true. I thought maybe he meant, and I heard, I know what you're talking about. I thought maybe he meant that it wasn't a real conversion. That's kind of where I was going with that. Like, because I made that same sort of profession of faith when I was young. Right. But it, and I was baptized and, and led FCA Bible studies in middle school. And then, but I wasn't saved. And if I had died, before the age of 25, 
26, I would have gone to hell. I was not saved. So maybe he was talking about it not being an actual, we're not here, he's not here to ask, uh, an actual conversion, like an actual heart change where, you know, repentance is walking one way, turning around and then walking the other. That's repentance. You, mm-hmm. you repent, you turn. So um, I don't know. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt there. I, but I do think that that's kind of the feel. I, I kind of thought the same way you thought at first, and then I rewound. Well, I accidentally closed the window that I was listening in, so I had to start all over from the beginning and re-listen to it. So I re-listened to it. I didn't do it on purpose. But I, I listened again, and that's kind of the feel I got from it. But maybe I'm maybe I misinterpreted well, and, and, and it. And I don't know for sure either. That's why I said that at the beginning. I just wanted the listeners to know that that you know when you when you say yes, I believe, then you are saved. And you don't have to, you, you don't have to fix yourself right away. You right. know, you you work on it. But uh, right, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, you believe, and in, in his case, maybe that's the case as well. That you know, uh, that you weren't saved. But I'm sure at the time you thought you were doing what you could, and it was in reflection that you processed it and came back with the idea that you weren't maybe saved. But that is that's like this add post hoc thing about direction and what if you're not right like how do you know you're right when you say you weren't saved you just you're kind of like you say oh it just feels like I wasn't doing enough of the right thing but but I don't know like obviously I'm not a believer but is that really yours is that yours to say you might have been saved all along and that doesn't mean that you didn't move in an even better direction as you got older but I think in my particular case because I was seven when I made that profession of faith. And in my seven-year-old brain, I don't know that I understood it the way I understood it when I was 26. That that might be true, but that uh, that puts all children in a compromised position. Yeah, I think God honors that. I think that's why we have baptism in many faiths, too, for, for children. And then when they get older, we try to get them to get rebaptized, especially like in the Catholic Church. When I was seven, second grade, I said— Lord, I believe I'm coming forward and I'm receiving communion. That moment, I I feel like I accepted him. Now, when I got older, and I spoke to Craig Laurie, and he said, "Oh, you, you're the Catholic one. Yeah, <laughs> you you need a personal relationship with Jesus." So, of my understanding from when I was young, I was saved. And then when I had a new understanding uh, from someone else as I matured, uh, then once I had that understanding, then I believed that I needed to go. Uh, I have a personal relationship, and that's when I worked on that personal relationship, uh, and I recommitted myself in a new maturity. And then again, when I moved to San Diego and uh, uh, went to a church there and wanted to affirm it in front of everybody and got baptized in front of everybody. So, I think the Lord accepts, my opinion is, if, 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 if you think and you believe at your maturity level, then I think God accepts that, just like He does when you're a baby and you're born and your parents have you baptized, uh, and then when you get older, you go get baptized on your own. I just, I just think it's an interesting question. I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I'm just, part of me is like, I don't know, is that really yours to— No, I think it's a good point. Is that your judgment yeah. to make? I think a lot yeah. of people have questioned like that. that. I think it's a That's really good true. point. I think, and I you, think you're it right. says you will know them by their fruits. Mm-hmm. Well, my fruit was rotten, yeah. so I guess I was rotten. <laughs> but all that to say, I don't know. Right? It's a it's a theological, and that's maybe why he's the truck driving theologian or whatever his nickname is. But yeah. you know, he might have more insight on that, and maybe 
We can ask him one day. But. Yeah, I mean, we definitely can. I mean, he's just a phone call away, but yeah, anyway. And Billy, I, I think when you told your testimony, didn't you have like something in your childhood, but then it happened again when you were yeah, older? Yeah, absolutely. Same yeah, thing. I think, so yeah. I, I think there's different levels that what life throws at you and you're like- As you mature. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and, and you, who's to know in 10 years? You and know, the fact you is know, if you- Exactly. How we feel. And, yeah. And something could happen or- he throws us a curveball, and we're like, "Oh man, what's going on here?" You know, and it's, so I, I think you have different levels at different ages and different life things happen sure. that you know. I mean, Ralph, I still remember to this day. Ralph said he was he was mad at God at one point in his life. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's just always something going on. Yeah, but so was Jonah. Oh yeah, yeah. He so. got swallowed by a whale. Ralph, I'd be away from hey, the ocean. He, he got more ocean. than that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody died. He, yeah. <laughs> he got sick. He had boils. No, not Job. Jonah. Oh, okay. Well, Job too. Job didn't get swallowed by the whale. Well, anyway. So I got a joke. Oh, Lord. <laughs> what a shock. Yeah. It's a truck driver joke. Oh. Be careful. So this, my dad retired from truck driving. Oh, no problem. He'll love this. So <laughs> He doesn't. This, this truck driver is driving down the road. and that is a convoy. He just had a divorce, and he is so, so pissed like he's so mad and his wife's lawyer really like stuck it to him you know and he's out on the road by himself just oh he's just so mad and he uh he looks over on the street you know and he sees this this man walking and he pulls over and he's like hey buddy you need a ride and the guy gets in the truck and he's like thanks he was like i'm actually a pastor of a church my car broke down i'm trying to get to my congregation you know could you help me out you know could you get me to the church and so the truck driver was like well yeah sure no problem and he was like how was your day today buddy and he's like oh i just don't even like i don't even want to go there right now preacher like i'm just not having it and as he's driving he looks and he sees the lawyer on the side of the road and he's like Oh man! So he like he grabs the steering wheel and he just like goes to swerve and he realizes the preacher's there and so he like like swerves back and then he hears the thump thump and he's like, "Oh, preacher, I'm so sorry. That was my wife's attorney, and I thought I missed him." And the preacher said, "No, I got him with the door." <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I got him with the door. Yeah, <laughs> classic. That's a classic one. Yeah, I could see that one coming a mile away. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit more PC than the Too way bad I heard the it the lawyer first time. Couldn't. Yeah, different version. That's, yeah, I probably heard the Ralph version. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, well, thanks everybody for being here in the uh, the studio, Billy, Ralph, Andy, Sarita. Thanks for being here, and thanks again, Bill Evans. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time on the Burrows of Berea. Represent. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.